Um, at the end of January, we'll be beginning in the series in the book of Revelation. We're looking forward to that. Um, right now in the interim here, we are in the middle of a series really that on following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? We took a little break for Christmas. We're going to have three more messages that are in line with that, um, all from the Gospel of John. So it began with a passage on abiding in Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to abide in Christ. And then um, we, we looked at what, um, how do we abide in Christ? We abide in Christ through his word, through prayer, and through looking to him. So um, we are going to be continuing in that. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. We'll be reading verse 18 all the way down through 16, verse 4. And this is God's holy inspired Word. Whenever we listen, by the way, whenever we listen to God's Word, uh, we, we need to always hear this as, as God speaking to us again today. You know, the Gospel of John, it, it wasn't written for the people that lived it. It was written for the people that followed them. It was written for us and for our instructions. So whenever we receive God's words, we hear God's words as God speaking to us afresh and anew. So let's hear God's words for us today as if Jesus himself, because he is, is really speaking to us for our encouragement. So this is God's holy word. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did... They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you care about each and every one of us. Do you care about our lives and the opposition that we face, Lord? You don't want us to be unprepared, Lord. You want us to be aware that following you has a cost, that being connected to you, it costs something. But Lord, you want us to be prepared in the face of opposition. So Lord, thank you for your caring words to us. God, I pray that your words would would care for us again today. 
that you would encourage us today. Lord, I, I pray that we would be encouraged and sustained by your grace. God, many of us are weak. Lord, as the, the year wraps up, we are, many of us are weak, we're tired, we're worn out, we're feeling disconnected. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. You would speak your words of comfort and care and encouragement to our hearts, that you would encourage our souls. Speak to us with the helper, the Holy Spirit. God, help me. I am weak and I need you, but Lord, our confidence, our hope is in you. Pray, Holy Spirit, strengthen me and strengthen each and everyone here to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine if the U.S. government flipped all of a sudden and it became anti-Christian. Now, you might be thinking, well, isn't the government a little bit anti-Christian already? Well, kind of, but not compared to other places in the world. But imagine if things got really, really bad here and all of a sudden the government flipped and became completely anti-Christian and started legislating against Christians, making it illegal to be a Christian. Imagine if it was illegal to gather here as a church, unless we were a state-sponsored, state-endorsed church with um, closed-circuit TV that the, the state monitored to make sure we didn't say anything that was out of the political correct band. Imagine if you could be arrested for reading your Bible in public or imprisoned for your faith. What would you do? How would you respond? Would you give in? Would you seek to gather now, we might not face opposition like this currently, but if you are a Christian, you're going to experience opposition in some form. As a Christian, you're going to experience opposition in some form. Otherwise, you should wonder, am I, am I really a believer? If I'm following Jesus, Jesus says that following him means that we're going to experience opposition. So what do you do in the face of opposition? You know, not that dramatic opposition to began with, but what do you do in the face of maybe normal everyday opposition? It might be an indicator of how you're going to respond when things get worse, when people ridicule, when they make fun of you, when they reject you, when they don't accept you. What do you, what do, you do in the face of opposition? Are you prepared for that opposition? If we're in Christ, if we're following Jesus, opposition will come, and Jesus does not want us to be unprepared. He doesn't want us to be unaware. The first two messages that we shared from John 15 were about abiding in Jesus or being connected. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means to abide in him. And then how do we grow as followers of Jesus? It's we grow by abiding in his word, by abiding in prayer, and then abiding in his love. And yet, right after that, Jesus immediately shifts from this, this talk about love to all of a sudden talking about hate. And that should come as a little bit of a shock if you're reading through John 15 and you're reading about how uh, we abide in Jesus and you're, you have this wonderful, really encouraging moments and we're abiding in Jesus and we grow by being connected to the vine and abiding in his word, abiding in prayer. Whatever we ask the Father, he will give it to us. And then we abide in his love. That's how we keep his commandments. We abide in his love. We stay in his love. And Jesus says, but not everybody is gonna love you like that. Not everybody's gonna love you because I love you. In fact, people will hate you. And so he shifts from talking about looking, uh, being a disciple looks like experiencing the love of God to saying it also looks like experiencing the hatred of the world. And so he says, if, you're, if you are hated by the world, now why does Jesus do that? He wants to prepare them. This passage is, is not meant to be scary. It's meant to communicate his care to each and every one of us, that Jesus doesn't want us to be unprepared from whatever level of opposition you might face. Maybe that's 
the rejection in, at work or rejection at school or maybe as people making fun of you, ridiculing you, whatever level of opposition you face, he doesn't want you to be unprepared and he wants you to ex- not only expect it, but to stand firm and not fall away in the midst of it. And that's why he's giving this instruction to his disciples. He's already kind of blown them away by telling them he loves them with the same love that the Father has loved him. Now, we need to be reminded of that too. We need to be reminded prior to uh, facing opposition that, that Jesus loves us with the same love that, that God has loved him, with the exact same love that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. But in the midst of that, with our relationship with Jesus also comes opposition. You know, sometimes we can think that if God loves us, if we keep his commandments, if we abide in his love, that, th- that life will be easy. You ever, you ever kind of got lulled into that notion? You know, I think it's really good at the end of the year as we, as we think about things, not, to not be lulled to sleep, to not be lulled into thinking things are supposed to be easy if you're a Christian. That, you know what, at the end of the year when we reevaluate our lives, we reevaluate how things are going, and we can think, oh no, things are hard, God must not love us. And he says, no. God loves you, so things are going to be hard. You're going to experience opposition. That's actually meant to be an encouragement. He doesn't want his disciples to fall into a trap of thinking that God doesn't love them when the world begins to hate them and persecute them. He doesn't want them to be shocked and surprised when they experience opposition. There's a cost of following Jesus, and his disciples need to be aware of that cost. We're secure in the love of God. We are secure in Jesus. We continue to abide in him. But that doesn't mean that the world will like us. And in fact, it actually should mean, it, it will mean that the world will not like us. The main idea that I think Jesus wants us to get from this passage is that if you are abiding in Jesus, if you're abiding in Christ, be prepared for opposition. Be prepared for opposition and encouraged to stand in him. Now, for some of you, you just came from some opposition because at Christmas time, you can face opposition for your faith. You can say, something's wrong. Lord, what's wrong? He says, no, that's a sign that you love me, that you experience opposition because of me. And he wants to encourage us to stand in him. You're a disciple of Jesus. You can expect it's only a matter of time before the world will hate us. So right after the bat, right after talking about abiding in Jesus Christ, we need to see there's a cost for abiding, there's a cost to being connected to Jesus. If we're abiding in Christ, the, the, the first thing we're going to see in this passage is the world will hate us because of Christ. If you are abiding in Christ, the world's going to hate you because of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it means to abide in him. It means to grow in him by his word. It also means to share in his sufferings. Now, we might not experience much persecution or opposition, but Chinese Christians, they're experiencing that firsthand. This past September, China, they banned one of Beijing's largest Protestant churches after the church rejected authorities' repeated requests to install closed-circuit TV cameras all over the church so they could monitor what the church said, and the church said no, they refused, and so the government shut the church down and they confiscated the building. They confiscated everything the church had and the church is legally banned and its illegal promotional material was taken, i.e. Bibles were taken. China's constitution supposedly guarantees religious freedom, but 
starting about six years ago, President Xi Jinping has tightened restrictions on religion. And, and for a lot of worshipers and pastors to accept the authority and the oversight of the communist government to tell them what they can and can't say, it is and it should be seen as a betrayal of their faith. Just this past December, and just December 10th, uh, not even 20 days ago, the South China Morning Post, it, it reported that a hundred Christians were snatched in overnight raids on the underground Chinese church. Worshippers were taken from their homes off the streets, coordinated crackdowns across Chengdu in the Sichuan province. About a hundred worshippers were snatched from their homes. Chinese authorities targeted members of the early Rain Covenant church. It was an effort to crack down on one of the country's most prominent Protestant house churches. Members' personal accounts, members' cell group discussions, social media channels were blocked. The church's telephone lines were cut. The homes of church leaders were raided. Um, Deacons were arrested, imprisoned, and then let go, but are being watched around the clock by security personnel in their own homes. One of the men said he headed to his pastor's house at 7 p.m. on Sunday after hearing about the raids, but there were nowhere to be found, and the house was ransacked. The police said that their church was an illegal organization that couldn't attend gatherings anymore. According to Bob Fu of China Aid, he says the crackdown represented a major escalation of religious persecution in China. There's more than 100,000 cases of detention of Christians this year alone. Let us sink in for a minute. What's wrong? Probably nothing. They're probably preaching the gospel. It says in, in, in Henan and the Zhejiang province, two of the hardest hit areas in the religious clampdown churches have been shut down and demolished. Members have been told to denounce their faith. The South China Morning Post said elders were in hiding. Many church members were tracked down by police, asking them to sign a letter pledging they would never attend further gatherings. He says this, this crackdown is unusual because they want to close down the church for good. They're closing down social media accounts. They're taking large numbers of our members into custody. The scale is unprecedented. But despite the massive purge, Lee said the gatherings would continue. Even if we're down to our last five, worship and gatherings will still go on because our faith is real. Persecution's a price worth paying for the Lord. We would rather live through it than to hide our faith. And we hope more Chinese churches will speak up and stand with us. So what does that mean? Does it mean they're doing something wrong? What happens when we face persecution? Does it mean they're doing something wrong? We're doing something wrong? When people dislike you, when people reject you, you, you can be tempted to think, Lord, what's, what's the matter here? What's, what's wrong? Especially here in North America. When we're hated, if we're persecuted, does that mean that somehow God isn't pleased with us? Or somehow we're less secure in his love? Because, you know, it can tempt us to feel that way, right? It can feel like, oh, no, the world's against us. God, you know, we're, we're not in your love. We're not in your hands. And Jesus wants us to be prepared and says, no, this is actually normative. This is to be expected. This is the result of following me. And, and look down at verse 1 of chapter 16 your Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, look down at verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus tells his disciples. He gives us the reason why he's instructing his disciples like this and why we're instructing the church like this. He says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. There is a very real temptation when you face opposition and persecution to give up. 
There's a very real temptation to not follow Jesus when you face rejection. And there's also a real temptation of falling into the trap to thinking that, you know, if God's pleased with me, if I'm following him, I'm abiding in him, then nothing is going to stop us in life. You ever feel that way? You ever, you ever deluded into believing the, the wrong American gospel? The, the wrong American gospel that says, you know, since we're king, king's kids, since we're princes and princesses, since we're joint heirs with Jesus, the thinking goes, then surely God's going to make us prosperous. We'll have favor in the world. God's going to keep us from the effects of the world around us. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to be unprepared because there's a false gospel that teaches the kind of heresy that says that if we trust in Jesus, things will go well and people will like us, we'll be healthy, wealthy, and whole. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it is. If you're in me, if you're following me, you're going to face oppositions. And to believe otherwise makes for very weak Christians who are prone to turning away from Jesus when things don't go well. We, we don't want to have a culture in this church or in the Christian church in general in America that, that's weak. We don't want to stand firm in our faith saying, you know, believing in Jesus, there is a cost to believing in Jesus. Don't believe the lie that says, okay, you can follow Jesus and then expect that everyone will still like you and you can fit in, you can be like the world around you. That's, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're abiding in Jesus, you're going to stick out. And he wants us to be firmly rooted and grounded and understand the world, the opposition we're going to face and be equipped when we do face it. So he says, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, some other translations, the New Living Translation says, when the world hates you, and I, I think it's probably closer to the truth because if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will experience persecution and you will have troubles. He's guaranteed it. Now, what does John mean when he refers to the world? He doesn't mean the physical world around us. There's, there's the world around us is not evil. God created the world physical world, it is a good thing. When he talks about the world in this context in John, he is talking about those who are against Jesus, against Christ, those who are dead set against God, who've rejected God and who are refusing to accept them as their Savior. Those who are alienated and hostile to the cause of Jesus. And then he tells us why the world will hate us. Look down at verse 22. Look down your Bibles for a moment in verse 22. Look what it says there. He explains why the world hates us. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, if I had not spoken my words, then they would not have been guilty of sin. They would have no excuse, but now they have no excuse for sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Now look at verse 24. If I had not done among them works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's, he's not saying that somehow the world around had never sinned. He's not saying that. He's saying the world is now confronted with the truth of who Jesus is and his works. Not only his words have proven who he is, but his works have demonstrated who he is. And now they're without excuse that Jesus' words have authority. If you are a Christian and you are proclaiming the name of Jesus and you are living out life, abiding in him, it's going to become evident that his authority is your authority, that he is your authority in life, that you're living for him. And you know what? People are not going to like that. Why? Because it threatens them, because it exposes that they are not living under the authority of God. He says, so the world's going to hate you because they hated me, 
They're without excuse. They don't, they don't submit to my word. They don't, they, they, they're without excuse. You see, Jesus' words have authority. He must be obeyed if he is who he says he is. And he has done these things to prove and demonstrate he is who he says he is, that he is the creator. Then he has an authority, and the world rejects that authority. You know why? Because we don't like, we don't like the idea that we are not the authority, right? By default, human nature resists authority. We, we like autonomy. We like to be in charge of ourselves. We like to control our own destiny. We like to call the shots, to have things like we want, to do things as we will. And God says, no. And if you're a Christian, you, you've now submitted to the authority of Jesus, and you're living that out. And so because of that, the world is going to hate you. And if you look around, all of the different opposition that Christians face today is really related to that, isn't it? People not wanting the authority of Jesus in the Bible, not wanting God to let them know how they should live, to, to be pleasing to him, not submitting to the authority of Jesus. And so in every different area of life, there's opposition. The world doesn't like the idea of being told if you don't accept Jesus, you're rejecting God. The world doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a connection between Jesus and God. To not submit to all the words of Jesus is to not submit to God. You see, the profound truth about who Jesus is, it's weighty. It requires something from us. It demands something from the world. And so the world's going to hate Jesus, and they're going to hate us as we follow Jesus. The world doesn't like being told that the very posture of their hearts is rebellious because we like to be autonomous by default. But if you're a follower of Jesus, what that means is that we're submitting to the authority of Jesus. The question for you is, have you done that? Have you submitted your life to the authority of Jesus? Have you, have you become grafted in? I don't assume everybody here is abiding in the vine. Are you? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you... Have you asked him to save you? Have you sought the forgiveness for your sins that is only found in him? If so, you're in him and there's great hope and confidence and security. We have so many benefits. There's all these blessings that go with us. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That's true. We have an inheritance that is kept in heaven, pure and undefiled for us. There awaits wonderful privileges of being a Christian, not only in heaven, but for you now. There is a relationship with Jesus that abiding in him, a closeness with him, that is rewarding. It is for our joy. But don't be confused. If you're abiding in Jesus, the world is going to hate you. People are going to persecute you. He says, look down later, he gives some details about what that's going to look like. He says, they'll put you out of the synagogues. Now, synagogue in that day, it was, that was where the, the believers in God went to meet God. And so they're going to put you out of churches. Churches will, people claiming to be Christians today might even put you out of the church, put you out of synagogue. It says the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. People may kill us thinking that they're serving God by doing so. Don't be confused. Don't be alarmed, Jesus says. Don't be scared. Don't Don't worry. This is, this is what it means to follow me. He says, and they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. 
And we talk about persecution in North America, we can think, well, we're not really persecuted. And, and that may be true to some degree, but persecution, that, that word here in the New Testament, it, it carries a broad meaning. And it really, it means any kind of opposition or harassment. And so that, that word means trouble, to mistreat, to pursue somebody with hostility. So in those terms, we, we really do face persecution to some degree. I think Kevin DeYoung, he's brought some helpful clarity to the discussion. He's, he's written, he says, the point is plain. While martyrdom is a special category set aside for a select number of Christians, persecution is the normal experience of every Christian everywhere. Some stiff fines to family shame, to being kicked off college campuses, to laws against sharing our faith, to unjust trials, to public mockery and scorn, to arrest and brutality. If we faithfully follow Jesus in this world, we will all face persecution at some point in our Christian discipleship. Even American Christians, if they are really Christians, will have crosses to carry. Christians are ridiculed and treated with hostility. We're going to face persecution. Don't be alarmed. Jesus is telling us these things so we won't fall away, so we won't be alarmed, so we won't run from him, so we won't be scared. We won't think this is outside of his control somehow or somehow this is taking God by surprise. And, you know, sometimes we can connect the political system and, and act as if our hope is in the political system and, 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 and think that Christianity and our government are the same thing and they're not meant to be. Our hope is in Christ, not in what our government does to us. Our, our hope's in Christ, not in how we are opposed or not opposed. He says people will hate us, but then he gives us hope. That's the second thing we need to see from this passage, is that if we are abiding in Christ, we can have great confidence when the world hates us. If you're abiding in Christ, why does he write us these words? Because he doesn't want us to fall away. He wants us to remember, to be firm, to have great confidence in him. If we're abiding in Christ, we can have great confidence when the world hates us. Don't be freaked out. Don't be worried. Now, I'm not at the same time saying that we shouldn't try to change legislation so that um, Christians can enjoy freedom to share the gospel. That's a good thing. It's one of the wonderful benefits, the privileges that we have. Being able to gather here on Sunday morning is a privilege that we need to try to protect. Why? So we can proclaim the gospel. But when we experience opposition, we can have great confidence when the world hates us. In the midst of the world hating us, we can take comfort knowing that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Think about it for a second. Jesus was rejected by his own people. Jesus was not recognized as God by the very people whom he called himself by name. And yet they didn't recognize him for who he was. Jesus was despised, rejected among men. He was not only not recognized, he was abused, mistreated, abandoned, left alone. He was beaten, he suffered, he, he was nailed to a cross and died. That wasn't a sign of any lack of love on, on the part of the Father. It wasn't a sign that Jesus had done something wrong. It was actually the reverse, that Jesus was perfectly in God's will, that he was perfectly following God. All of Jesus' life, to some degree, was a form of suffering. That's why they called him the suffering servant. Yet, 
It says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, because he knew there was a purpose in it all. He knew that God had a purpose in a plan, a plan in all of that to glorify him. And, and if you're a disciple of Jesus, don't be confused and think that somehow the path that God has us on is going to be free from suffering. If He says, if the master suffered like this, then don't think that somehow the servant's not going to. What a privilege it is, though, to be like Jesus and suffer the same hatred that he did for the same reasons he did. If the world hates you because you're disciples of Jesus, that should give you confidence that God's at work, that you're following his plan. He says, and look, look in verse 19 of chapter 5, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a couple of things going on in that verse, aren't there? There's a little bit of a, of a warning in that verse and a challenge to us, but there's also real hope and encouragement there too. You know, the challenge is that so often what stops us from sharing the gospel the most is that we fear what people will think about us, don't we? We don't want to look foolish. This happens to me all the time. You know, I'm getting ready to share the gospel with somebody, and I think, you know what, I don't want to look silly. I have this practice when I, when I go to restaurants that, that I have typically that um, I'll say, hey, you know, we're about to pray over a meal. Can, can, we, can I pray for you for something? And, you know, sometimes people will say no, and they'll look at me like I have, you know, six eyes or something, and, and, and they'll think that I'm really strange. Other times people will break down and start crying, and they'll say, yeah, I really would love you to pray for me, and um, yeah, I, I really feel alone, or whatever. They'll share their hearts, and God will use that. But even in those times, though, I'm always, every time, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned I'm going to look foolish. And then I'm, I'm concerned about looking silly. What are they going to think about me? I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them to spit in my food, you know, or whatever it might be. You know, to some degree, what keeps us from living out our lives as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, as faithful disciples, is that we feel fear the world is going to reject us. But Jesus says, hey, don't, don't sweat that. Realize the world is going to hate you. Embrace that. I'm not saying we should seek to be hated or, or we should be jerks so that people will hate us. No, he's not talking about that. He's but he's saying, hey, don't, don't be afraid of that. Instead, say, you know what? This is part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm actually going to embrace my role. If I'm loving Jesus, then the world's going to hate me. That's who I am. And, and I want to go in confidence knowing, hey, God loves me. I'm abiding in him. I have nothing to fear because he loves me. He's accepted me. He loves me with the same love that the Father loves me. Therefore, I will never be rejected. And so there's hope. There's encouragement here. Now, what's the reverse? Do we, do we really want to be liked by the world? Do you really? You know, we can believe the lie of the devil of wanting to be liked by the world, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be famous, wanting people to, to think we're impressive. But do we really want that? Do you really want that? Do we want to be accepted by the world? We want to maybe ask it a different way, put it in the reverse of what Jesus says here of his words. Do we want the world to love us as its own? He says, if you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you're a Christian, that's a, there's, some, there's a challenge there. 
Christian, you don't want the world to love you as his own. All the world has is hostility, enmity against God and death. So what does that mean for us? Not only is it going to be challenging to us about whether or not we're living to be accepted or liked or loved by the world, it should bring us up short and remind us, look, we don't want to be, live to be accepted or liked or loved by the world because we're loved by Jesus, because we're abiding in him. And if we're already loved and we're already completely accepted by Jesus, why do we seek to live in such a way that we seek the acceptance or approval of the world? It warns us that, that if the world loves us, it reveals that we're of the world. But there's a real great encouragement in this passage too. Look again in verse 19. And I think it's really the main emphasis, the main reason why Jesus is telling his disciples these things. He wants us to know the world hates us. They can't take the love of God away from us no matter what. And, and, and did you catch the encouragement, how, how we can be sure of that? Look down at verse 19. It says, I chose you out of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Don't be afraid. I chose you. That should be great confidence and hope as a believer. God has chosen you. If you are abiding in Jesus, he's chosen you. He picked you. He chose you, not because of anything you've ever done, good or bad, but he chose you in him before the foundations of the earth. And that should give us great confidence when we face opposition that he's chosen us and nothing can take us from his hand. We don't belong to the world any longer. We've been chosen by Jesus. We're part of his family. We don't have to seek to want to be a part of the world's family and be accepted by them because we're already a part of God's family because Jesus has chosen us. That's great encouragement. That's why the world hates you, because I chose you, he says. It's not a sign of displeasure when the world hates us. It's evidence of God's electing grace in your life. And he wants to remind us to remind ourselves of what he said about us as disciples too. Look down at verse 20. Look down at verse 20. He says, remember the word I said to you. He's trying to encourage his disciples. Remember, when this happens, when the world hates you, when you face persecution, opposition, remember, I chose you. Remember the word I said. A servant's not greater than his master. And then skip down. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. What he's saying is that if you are my servant... You're going to suffer like me, and that's a sign that you're abiding in me. That's not a sign that something's wrong. Don't think somehow we're greater than him. We can grow in our sanctification without being hated and persecuted. But it's also encouraging to remember that this is part of the master's plan for Jesus as our master. Then it's also part of his plan for us when we experience persecution and suffering. It's, it's, we're in his plan. He's chosen us. He's called us. We're his servants. We're, we're part of God's plan. He's going to enable us to endure and to glorify him. And, and then, I, then I love the latter half of verse 20, and there's something that's a little surprising there. I don't know if you caught that or not. There's something surprising there in the end of verse 20. Look down your Bibles. It says, if, here's some encouragement for you about sharing the gospel, about being a witness, being a testimony to Jesus. Here's some encouragement for you that really should be shocking to you. And it says, if they kept my word, they'll, keep, they'll also keep yours. There's an astounding promise there that if we are 
proclaiming the news of Jesus, if we are living out the, the good news of the gospel in our lives, if we're abiding in him, we're proclaiming the gospel, we're sharing his words, we're living as disciples, here's the really cool thing. Yeah, we're going to experience persecution, but here's with persecution, there's a great promise. People are going to respond to our words as if they're the words of Jesus, as we speak the words of Jesus. Just like not everyone rejected Jesus, some people responded to Jesus, repented and believed, and kept his word. That's what it means to be keeping his word. Whenever Jesus talks about keeping my word, it's holding fast to his word, holding on to it, obeying his word. And so he says something shocking. He says, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. Wow, Christian, that should be encouraging to you. Yeah, we're going to experience persecution, but you know what? As we proclaim the gospel, as we live it out, as we testify about Jesus, people are going to keep those words about Jesus that we speak? That, that's encouraging. That gives me hope. I, I want to talk to the waitress or waiter or people I interact with on a daily basis if I know that, wait a minute, there's hope here because there's power in the words of Jesus. So just like they kept his words, as I proclaim his name, I can have hope that they will also Keep our words as we proclaim his words. There's hope. There's a promise that we get to be a part of God's redemptive plans in history. In the midst of persecution, realize that we have the words of Jesus that some people will keep. And that's really good news in a lost and dying world. Verse 21 tells us when people reject us because we follow Jesus, though, they're really revealing they're rejecting God and that they don't know God. Now I want you to skip down to verse 26. There's even more hope, even more encouragement in the midst of persecution and suffering. There's, there's hope that we're chosen by God. This is all a part of his plan. There is hope that he's, our words will be effective like his words were effective. And there's also hope that we have not been left alone. Look in verse 26. I love this promise, and actually next week we're going to be looking at it in even more depth, what this coming of the helper means. As the disciples, we're not left alone. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that in more depth next week, but for now, just a little taste. We can be encouraged because he's chosen us. We're part of God's plans. He's going to make our words effective like his words have been effective, and then he has given us a helper. He's given us a helper. Well, that's, a, that's a really lowly term in one sense for the Holy Spirit. He's given us a helper. But at the same time, it's, it's the most exalted term. He's, he's the helper. He's, he's the one who comes alongside. And John's the only New Testament author who used that word for referring to Holy Spirit. And, and in John 14, he says, when I send you the helper, the helper will be with you forever. And so as you're reading down through John 15 and John 16, you're, to, you're to, to get that. Wait a minute. He's talking about sending the helper in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition. We can have confidence and encouragement that he has now, after John, he has now sent the helper. We're not alone. That should be faith building. We're not alone. We have the helper who's come from the Father and, and that the word of coming from the Father is like issuing like, like a river comes from the mouth. Like it's, it's pouring out. It's coming out from the Father. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on us from the Father. He's the spirit of truth. He's the one who proclaims the truth. He proceeds out from the Father. He bears witness about Jesus. 
Earlier in John 14, he said, he'll teach you all things. Don't be afraid when you experience opposition and persecution. He's going to teach you all things. You have the helper. You have the same help that Jesus had. You have the same encourager that Jesus had. You, you have the same one bringing to your remembrance the things that the Holy Spirit brought to Jesus, the God-man's remembrance. He's fully man, he's fully God, and as man, he needed to be reminded by the Holy Spirit. And the helper is called the Spirit of Truth. He comes to the Father. He bears witness about Jesus, and there's even more encouragement. Not only are you not alone, you've, you've been chosen by God. You've, you're part of God's plan. God's, God's not left you alone. He's given you his words that will be effective. It says also, and look in verse 27, you also like the Holy Spirit, will bear witness because you have the Holy Spirit. He says, because you've been with me from the beginning to his disciples, we have the truth of Jesus and we bear witness about Jesus, enabled by the helper. The Holy Spirit, he's told us earlier in John, will be with us forever. He teaches us. He brings remembrance. He bears witness and he's going to enable us to bear witness about Jesus. In the midst of the world, hating and persecuting. And that's been the effect on the church in China, by the way. The pastor of um, one of the churches that were imprisoned, and he is still in jail currently. He wrote a letter a couple weeks ago, I think about 10 days ago. And it was entitled, A Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. I'm not going to read the whole letter. It's quite lengthy. I encourage you to go and read it if you can. Um, a letter, a declaration of faithful disobedience, and he talks about what does it look like to, to follow Jesus and to disobey the law in order to follow Jesus. And so he responds, and he wrote a letter, and he prepared it ahead of time, and it was released after a couple of days he was in jail. But I just want to read you a portion of what he shared, how, where his hope, his encouragement was and is. He writes, if God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a spiritual wilderness of disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans. For his plans are always benevolent and good. Precisely because none of my words and actions are directed towards seeking and hoping for societal and political transformation, I have no fear of any social or political power. For the Bible teaches God establishes governmental authorities in order to terrorize evildoers, not to terrorize doers of good. If believers in Jesus do no wrong, they should not be afraid of dark powers. Even though I am weak, I firmly believe this is the promise of the gospel. It is what I've devoted all my energy to. It's the good news I'm spreading throughout Chinese society. He goes on to say, I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority. There is freedom they cannot restrain. A freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Christ. I will serve my sentence, but I will not serve the law. I will be executed, but I will not plead guilty. Moreover, I must point out that persecution against the Lord's church and all the Chinese people who believe in Jesus Christ, is the most wicked and most horrendous evil of Chinese society. This is not only a sin against Christians, it's a sin against all non-Christians, for the government is brutally and ruthlessly threatening them, hindering them from coming to Jesus. There is no greater wickedness in the world than this. 
If this regime is one day overthrown by God, it'll be for no reason than God's righteous punishment and revenge for this evil. There's only ever been a thousand-year church. There's never been a thousand-year government. There's only eternal faith. There's no eternal power. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally will be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprison me. Pray the Lord would use me. He would grant me patience and wisdom. I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. No one can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation and hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ, Son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant and I am prisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God and I will joyfully violate any laws that violate God's laws. How can Pastor Wang have such confidence and assurance? He knows of Jesus' words in John. I think that the effect of a passage like this and hearing an account like that is meant to, to both spur us on and meant to encourage us, both at the same time. To spur us on to live for Jesus, to abide in him, to remain in him, to seek to grow in him, now, none of us do that perfectly, and I've, I've been aware this past week, and especially over Christmas time, I think most of us, we are, we are aware that, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. We talk about those things, and yet things just get so busy, and we get so distracted. There's so many distractions in life that we can live like functional atheists, right? We can live like functional atheists. We can come to this time, you know, just three weeks ago we heard a message on abiding in Jesus and how do we grow by abiding in his word, abiding in prayer. And then I look at my own life over the last couple weeks and think, I haven't been doing that so good, you know? I've been doing a kind of a crummy job with that. This encouragement, the, the way back is, it's not complex. It's not to feel undue guilt. It's to say, no, he's grafted you in. Just abide in him. Abide in him. Pursue abiding in him. Pursue abiding in his word, abiding in prayer, and then live for him. No matter what you face opposition-wise, you can have hope and encouragement. Encouragement that he's chosen you. He's given you his powerful words. He's not left you alone. He's given you a Holy Spirit. All the promises that are made to Jesus uh, made from Jesus to us are yes and amen in him. All the promises to God's people are ours in Christ Jesus even if we face opposition. So let this, these words encourage us, let them provoke us. Say, hey, wait a minute, let's, let's get back to doing what we know how to do, abiding in Jesus. Let's get back to proclaiming his name and let's have confidence as we do that. And, and isn't it wonderful that Jesus cares for his, his, his people? He cares for his disciples. You know, I, I love that 
from John 15 on, you know this was written in the context of Jesus' last night with his disciples, and he's caring for them. He knows that they're going to reject him. He knows, he knows his disciples he's talking to about abiding in him. He knows that when people confront them, hey, are you really a follower of Jesus? He knows that Peter's going to betray him and reject him three times. He knows that. He, he knows that, but he wants them to be prepared. What's the answer to Peter? What's the answer to us? Abide in him. Abide in his word. And then get up and proclaim don't fear opposition. Why? Because he's chosen you. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his powerful word. And you are a part of his glorious plan to not only redeem you and bring you to him, but to bring all people to him through our weakness as we face these things. He says, I've said these things to keep you from falling away, knowing that his disciples would fall away that very night. He says, but when the hour comes, remember them. It's part of God's plan for us, like it was a part of Jesus' plan for his disciples. We can trust that he loves us, he cares for us. Take heart, he's not left us alone. The Holy Spirit's gonna enable us. He's gonna make our words effective. His word is life and light. Think about for a second, the words of Jesus. They're filled with creative power. He's the creator himself. He's the one who said, let there be light. He's given us that same word to, to bring light to darkness, to break the chains of sin, to set the captives free, to bring life where there was death, to give hope and comfort and peace with God. Don't be rattled. Have confidence, have hope. He says, if they keep my word, they'll keep yours. He, he's given us his creative power. He's given us the helper. He cares about us. Any trouble, opposition you face is not unexpected. If we remain in him, we will bear much fruit. Amen. Well, I'll have the band go ahead and come up and we'll we'll sing a song closing as we do. We'll pray.